It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Access Atlanta shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience in Atlanta. We'll bring you the stories that make our city one of a kind and take you behind the scenes in a town where we create movies, music, and art that's making waves around the world. Every week, we'll share with you some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. Join us and let us be your guide to a city that we know best. Because of the coronavirus, many of us are working remotely, and whereas we usually record this podcast in person, face-to-face, now we're doing it remotely, so none of us are in the same building, so the sound quality may be slightly different than you're used to. We hope to get back to getting it just right any day now. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison, and this week we're here to talk about one of Atlanta's top chefs, literally. Uh, He has been on Top Chef, and he is now going to be on a new version of Top Chef, and our very own Rodney Ho has spoken with him. Hey, how's it going, Shane? Good, thanks. So uh, you spoke with Kevin about this upcoming season of Top Chef, which is like the All-Stars edition, right? Correct. This is the second All-Star edition. The the last one aired like 10 years ago, and Richard Blaze won, the former Atlanta restaurateur. Um, But uh, at the time, I think they wanted Kevin to come back numerous times over the years after he originally was on season six when he came in third uh, behind the two Vitaggio brothers. Uh, He chose... He, he, for years, he said no. He, he didn't want to do it. It was like a chapter of his life. He had put it behind him. Uh, he didn't have any desire to come back. Uh, but in 2018, uh, he had renal cancer, and he had a, uh, basically a, a, ma- a massive cyst in his kidney that just overwhelmed one of his kidneys, and they had to take it out. Uh, it was apparently a very invasive surgery, and uh, you know, he, a couple of times I think he was worried he was going to die So you know, at age 35. So I think that kind of changed his viewpoint on life because he said a lot of people, um, you know, once they heard about his issues, uh, they provided him a lot of support while he was recuperating. You know, people told their own stories about uh, how they were able to overcome uh, similar type uh, medical issues. And uh, when uh, Top Chef, uh, called him again last year, he said uh, this time he decided to say yes, uh, in part because he wanted to sort of tell his story and, uh, right. and show how he's changed uh, since he was uh, kind of that cocky 27-year-old 10 years ago competing right. on Top Chef. And in addition to, you know, 
all of the the health things that he's been through since that time. He's he's also been busy opening restaurants as well. Back in 2008, uh, Kevin was running Woodfire Grill, but you know the economy was going down and and, and it was having issues. But he but Top Chef he said basically saved the restaurant. I mean the no, notoriety he got from being on the show and the popularity uh, it garnered helped revive Woodfire Grill, and he was able to turn that into a very successful restaurant. Uh, but I think in 2013 he decided he wanted to kind of do his own thing, and he started a Gun Show and then Revival. Uh, and then he uh, did, I think, Game Changers at uh, Mercedes-Benz. Uh, so right. and all three have done very well for him. Um, recently he opened Cold Beer uh, right off the belt line. And uh, that restaurant, he said, uh, you know, it's a very large space, much bigger than the other restaurants. And he's had a little bit of a struggle with it, and he felt like, hey, Top Chef ultimately might, you know, help that, help, help Cold Beer out as well. Uh, obviously, I, I talked to him last Wednesday, um, and things have changed a little bit, obviously, as we know, in the past week or so uh, regarding right. coronavirus. Uh, literally after we finished our interview, um, he heard that the Final Four was being canceled, and uh, he calculated quickly that he would be, it would cost him, you know, maybe up to $200,000 in potential revenue uh, at Game right. Changers and Mercedes-Benz. And he was like, oh, my God, I've already put money into that. And, you know, I think every restaurateur in Atlanta is now having to calculate how they're going to survive, you know, when right. everything shut down in the coming weeks. So, uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the buzz and, you know, all the excitement built up over Top Chef has been hindered a bit in his mind by all this, you know, we got to keep, you know, Red Beer Restaurants, which is what he calls his restaurant group, uh, just keep it going. Uh, you know, how is he going to pay right. his employees? How is he going to pay the bills? Uh, if, you know, if ultimately the city has to shut him down, I, I don't think they've reached that point yet, but uh, it's, uh, you know, things are pretty serious now. Right. Well, luckily, luckily Top Chef will be, will be airing over a period of time, right? How, how long, how, yeah, how long does that it's like, it's about three months. So hopefully, right. you know, if he, and obviously it depends how far he goes. I don't know how far he makes it. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's right. 16 chefs. All of them have competed on Top Chef before, going back to season one. Uh, none of them have won. These are all people who have not yet won Top Chef, so they all have that right. desire to win. And, you know, he obviously is competitive by his very nature, uh, but he said, you know, he came on the show to tell a story as well, and obviously the longer he stays in areas, so he, you know, hopes that he is in the top tier of the chefs right. that uh, are competing. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he, you know, it, I, I obviously he can tell me how far he, he, he's gone, but he did have this little plan, which I'm not sure he's going to be able to do now where, you know, the sh- whatever dishes he cooked on the show for the week after he would cook a similar version for his customers, uh, at right. the different restaurants and he would cook it himself and people could reserve a time, you know, he would, you know, through social media say, I'm going to be cooking from say six to nine at, you know, gun show with this particular dish and people can, can go over there and try out the dish that they saw on right. TV, uh, which is a great well, idea. Maybe, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe he'll be able to do that to go. Who knows? That's what a lot of restaurants are doing now. I don't know. Yeah, everything's up in the air right now. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, he seems like a really smart guy. He, he says he segued since his surgery. He's mostly focused on management type stuff. He still does some cooking, but he no longer like cooks everything the way he did before. He no longer spends eight hours a day, you know, 
behind the grill or, you know, in the kitchen. He now spends more time sort of managing his restaurants and he, right. you know, and being more of a mentor toward the other, you know, to the other chefs and to the, uh, to the sous chefs and teach them how to create dishes and, and provide inspiration. So he's, he's sort of segued into more of a, you know, in a more of a leadership role than he was before when he was much more hands-on. I spoke to him at yeah, Cold okay. Beer, um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a very large restaurant, and, uh, you know, he says the weather, you know, since he opened it, the weather has been really rough on his restaurant. Uh, that particular right. place has a lot of outdoor space, and it's right off the Beltway, and, but it's not um, the Beltline, excuse me. The Beltline, yeah. In D.C., the Beltline. I'm just getting everything wrong today. Um, but anyway, the, the Beltline, uh, but it, it's not in an obvious heavy, heavily air, you know, trafficked area, the Beltline. So yeah. it's not easy to find necessarily. So people have to know where it is. So, I mean, the hope yeah. is eventually he can get that, that you know, get cold beer um, revving a little bit more. Uh, so we'll see. Right. I mean, right now, all bets are off. But hopefully in a few months, maybe things will get better for him. Yeah. Well, well, thanks so much for uh, for joining us, and thanks for getting this talk with Kevin Gillespie, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit of that uh, right now. Hey, uh, this is Rodney Ho with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm here with Kevin Gillespie at his restaurant, Cold Beer, right off the Beltline, and he is going to be on Top Chef uh, All-Stars LA, which debuts on March 19th, right? That's right, on next Thursday, yeah. That's right. And... Um, you know, we've talked over the years, and I know you've told me you never would do Top Chef again, and something changed. So do tell us a little bit about how your, you know, uh, how things uh, shifted for you, because you did it 10 years ago. You for came sure. in third. You had a good time. You said that's... Yeah, you know, I was really happy with the result of the first time, yeah. you know, and, and felt like there was absolutely no reason to, to go back and change anything about that or add to that chapter. Uh, and I was serious for years when I said, I'm not going back and I'm not doing it again. But I believed you. Um, I think what changed was that something in my life changed. Yes. And, um, you know, most of the people probably know that I, that I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, was it 2018? It right? was in 2018 and uh, underwent like a pretty aggressive and quick um, invasive surgical procedure to remove uh, your, your my kidney. kidney. Yep, a, kid, a, a kidney, yeah. Yeah, I, so I lost a whole kidney and I lost some, you know, as I like to refer to it, some of the plumbing that goes along with it. Um, okay. So basically... You know, I lost the whole kidney and then draw a circle around it, and they said, okay, all this has to go too. And so um, it's called a surgical margin, I was told. And so okay. basically it's not just what's infected, but it's all the stuff in the radius of a certain distance. So, okay, so they've learned. <laughs> yeah, they've learned to – I think it's called a better safe than sorry approach. Okay. But um, anyhow, it was a very intense experience, as you can imagine. Yeah, it you know, just came it, out of nowhere, right? It, I mean, you're, very much I mean, so. you're not at um, an age where you think about cancer no, necessarily, yeah. I wasn't feeling bad. I got sort of a funny, um, achy feeling when I was on vacation and and decided to just go to the doctor thinking, you know, I literally thought I had, like, a urinary tract infection okay. or kidney stone or something like that. And sure. Went to the doctor and found out what it was. And Was it was, easy for them to find, or...? Um, it was not it, no it was not easy for them to find because they didn't think to look for this because there was no reason to as they said like no one it's common in men above a certain age like above 75 okay but it's not common and how old were you at the time it 35 was, yeah that's unusual yeah. so yes. it, it, to get um a, any form of a bosniac cyst much less one of this size and severity is just not something they would look for but they quickly ruled out 
everything that it reasonably could be and said, okay, I think we're just going to have to... How many days gonna, of tests did you have to go through before? Honestly, they figured it out the second day because they went straight at, we're going to do, uh, we're just going to look directly at this kidney and see what it is. So instead of just continuing down blood tests and this, that, they said, let's just, you know, we don't, we don't like to blast you with radiation all the time, but we're going to need to look at this and see what it is. And I had left the office of the... Oh, which, uh, uh, which hospital center. did you go to? Piedmont. Piedmont, okay. So I left the imaging center at 8.30 in the morning. Um, I remember it extremely clearly. It was a Thursday morning. Were you I left nervous? At were you, think, were, were you well, thinking much at all? I was nervous point? because the tech made a funny face when they saw me. And I went, what's that? That's not what you want somebody to do. Right. She kind of winced when she looked at it. So, so it made know, a funny so the, face. Yes, yeah, so the doctor calls and says, come back to the office, bring your wife. And so we go back in, and he's really direct. You know, he's not mean about it, but he says, look, here's the deal. Um, you have something called a Bosniak cyst or tumor, depending on how you phrase it. How big was um, it? Well, so they, they usually give things in millimeter sizes. Okay. And which, which kind of can make it sound good or bad. In his case, he gave us a size in millimeters, and he said, it's not really important for you to know how big that is. What's important is to know that it's occupying 95% of your right kidney. And we went, okay, so it's the whole thing, basically. And he yeah. said, yeah, it's the whole thing. Like, Holy cow. Um, he said, Over what span of time did it build up? Could they even guess how long it took for that? To uh, they said that, well, we know that they looked at my kidneys less than six months before that because we were, I had gone to the doctor for a back thing. Like I'd hurt my back and they took a, kind of an x-ray and they could see my kidney. Oh. And they could see this, what they thought was a polyp. And they said, eh. It, you know, it probably isn't a big deal. It's tiny. I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. So, so it expanded that large in, in a short in period about of time. six months' time. Oh, okay. So this thing was pretty so aggressive. It was, well, and that was what they knew. And they said it's super aggressive. Like, we don't have any time. They gave me 10 days to get my affairs in order, as it were. And that's how, that's why I was so public about it, is that in that 10 days, I needed to not only get my restaurant together, my life together, but I needed yeah, at that point, reasonably well, we, to get a second opinion if at all possible. You know? yeah, at that point, how many restaurants did you have at that stage? We had Revival so, and Gun Show? Revival, Gun Show, and we had Game Changer in the stadium. Okay, gotcha. And so, what goes with Game Changer, the catering company. So we had really three functioning businesses and about 100 employees. And you needed um, to make sure everything was covered yeah. while you, in case this went really badly. And, you know? and, yeah, and, and even and, then, you had a time period where you couldn't work, right? Right, exactly. You know, and... Um, Oddly enough, we have a plan for worst case scenario already written into our operating plan. So if I pass away, the restaurants pass to the employees um, of the restaurants. So we already had kind of a plan that we Is thought... Is it kind of like the Green Bay Packers, like kind of a communal thing? Sort of, yep. Yeah, yeah. Basically, they all have options to essentially buy into it or buy it for themselves. Um, we did that theoretically thinking like one day long day down the road you know maybe when i want to retire like yeah, there's yeah, a there's 30, a plan already years. to like sell it to the people who work at it um we didn't plan it for this but um so yeah i needed to do a lot in those 10 days and it was it was stressful it, it was imagine. stressful but it wasn't scary because i was too busy so i didn't have a chance to really dwell on it i actually didn't get scared until i was in the um hospital like with all the you know this the three or four ivs like i had both hands completely loaded with stuff oh, like and arms like yeah it was like and it was just I looked like I was just it, it, there was like piping coming in and out of me and that's when I got really freaked out and scared um, but thankfully I don't I mean it may have been five minutes after that when they were like we're gonna 
start giving you some stuff that'll calm you down. And like, that's all I remember. Like we were, it wasn't calming me down. I was out. Um, oh, knocked you out pretty fast. Yeah. And for better or worse, my wife tells a different version of this story because she mem- remembers everything so clearly. Of course, she was I watching this whole thing. I don't really remember post-op. And I don't really remember post-op for not just the day of. I mean, I, there's like a, a they had solid, you pretty drugged up. Yeah, there's like a solid three months of my life that I don't have a strong memory of. Three like, months. Because I was on so much medication, um, not only to treat the, the cancer-related problem, but to treat the enormous amount of pain because um, because not only was it an incredibly invasive surgery, but my surgical site got infected. So I had to fight an infection on, on top of it. It was just a mess. It was just bad, oh. bad, bad. Flash forward to back at work, back in life. Yeah, once and, you got back. Um, I mean, you know, it sounds... How had your restaurants done without you, like, so to speak? They, they had done... They had done really well, actually. Oh, really? They Did that they, make you feel good or bad? No, it made me feel good. It actually, <laughs> it made me feel... Well, actually, that's a lie. It made me feel very happy that they had done well, and it also really, like, took a blow on my, like pride and sense of sort of self-worth because you're like wait they don't even need me like um well they needed but, you to make the restaurants right, happen. Yeah, you hired the right people everybody you, you told made me it all work all this stuff it was just yeah. strange to go from the true transition point from when i was a working chef to what i would say i am now which is i i am the chef owner i am i am manager i am yeah exactly like yeah exactly creative Str- director strategic is what manager, some of the yeah. people like to call me that took place post-surgery Right and it, you know uh, you were still cutting cutting uh, garlic yeah, and yeah. stuff. I was still Pro- working in the kitchen like you on were a making nightly meals. basis. You were making meals, making for people's meals up until mm-hmm. that point. Gotcha. And the reason that it changed is that flat out the doctor said like standing that, for eight hours a day. We don't do like that, that anymore. Like that's not that's not in the cards for you. Like you have to be. What would a be the problem? Be, what would the problem be? Well, by they basically doing just it? said you have to take care of your body a lot better than you have been. Like. Um, you need to you need to manage. You need to sleep the right amount. You need to eat the right way. Um, what were you, you to, not doing right before? Obviously, not enough sleep. Not enough sleep. I've never been good at sleep. Um, so what are you, you trying know, to do now? Seven hours? Six hours? I What's, mean, theoretically, I I I put myself to bed at a time that would allow me to get seven hours of but, sleep. But sometimes you I don't always do a great job. My brain doesn't shut off. But at least you're you know, in bed for seven hours. Yeah, at there a were time. like you know. It's better than nothing. You need to hydrate right? better. You need to. You need to. Everything you're doing. They basically e- just even said diet. Like, yeah. Oh, very much so. Even diet. That was a, probably the biggest piece. Um, and they just said, "Look, you know, you can continue doing what you do for a living, but you need to. You need the flexibility in your life to be able to exercise regularly. You need to do. You need to like you like they said. You need to go to bed at a certain like at the right time. You need to. You need yeah, to just. I mean, the lifestyle of a chef just right. doesn't lend itself yeah, to a lot exactly. of that. And so they. I mean, that was kind of the doctor's orders was. You, you can't be a. You, sh- you can still be a chef as long as you start using your brain and quit just using your back. Gotcha. And so that's when I I made the decision that um, you were going to we step gonna, back. Yeah, and we were going to grow our team, and we were going to make a bigger restaurant group, and we were going to promote more people, and we were going to make partners of people, and we were going to do all these things that I never expected to do. You know, I thought I'd have my little tiny thing that I ran damn near everything. The micromanager then, in yeah, a sense. And yeah. then so you had to let go of a lot life of changed. stuff. Yeah, and it, I changed, and I saw things very differently. I was really bad at. Um, my whole life bad at like ignoring the trip and only focusing on the destination and then getting to the destination and being dissatisfied with it and setting a new destination like it was 
like my own personal ambition has been the best and worst thing. Oh yeah, because in other words, you always were looking a step ahead. You weren't in the moment. Right. You were yeah, kind of exactly. like, what's next? Was, and it was tough, you know. And so when you came out on the other side and you were really appreciative, you know, all the cliches that people say, they're all true though. Like yeah. you are different on the other side because most people never really have to stare down their mortality like until a lot later in yes. life, you know? And what did, um, what did your wife say about this in terms of what her viewpoint of view? Well, I think I'll my wife her, yeah. felt like it was, should have happened earlier. I think my wife thought, you know, Kevin, you're too smart to like, just like kill yourself, like grinding it out in the kitchen all day, every day. You need to, and she would get frustrated with me because she'd go, you you try to find the most talented people in the in the industry. Why won't you let them do their thing? Like you, you spend – we spend a lot of time and money bringing people to our company because right. we think they're the person. And then, you know, prevent them from doing their real – like using their talent. So she, she was on board with it. She thinks it's better now that the way that it is. But what she also pointed out was that – the challenge for me kind of in this new perspective in life was that I was probably going to have to challenge a lot of the old ideas I had about how things were going to work and what the future was going to look like. And oddly enough, this whole Top Chef, Celebrity Chef, all that kind of stuff sort of creeped into my mind pretty quickly because I recognized that I wouldn't be where I am today were it not for Top Chef. It really? Opened... Where, where do you think you'd be without Top Chef? Well, I, I think mean, because you were would... obviously a talented chef, so... True, but I think Top Chef gave me an enormous platform to speak candidly about what I think is important with food and, and restaurant communities. And people listened, and they liked it, and so they supported me, you yeah. know? And I don't know if I would still be in Atlanta, because Woodfire was about to close. Like, if it hadn't been for Top Chef, it would have closed, and I likely would have moved. I would have just said, oh, guess I, you know, made a mistake. I was really thriving in the Pacific Northwest, which oh, is where could, I was Oh, you could be in before. Seattle right now. Right. Well, I was in Portland. Portland. And I was like, maybe I'll just go back. Like, yeah. you know, my business partner, Marco, was still in Portland at the time. I think I probably would have just turned around and okay. gone right back. Um, but thankfully, that's not what happened. Um, and so I started thinking about the fact that Top Chef maybe wasn't a finite, maybe it wasn't a book who that had completely been written. Maybe yeah. it wasn't something that had been penned and closed and maybe it was still an open-ended book maybe that was what life in general is is that it's you know that there's still an opportunity still to, to change the story you know and uh and and i thought to myself you know what maybe under the right circumstances if they asked me again i would go back and so this was just sort of an idea that had that had mulled around in my head and then well, they i mean they, coincidentally i guess they came up with all stars too right this correct is, so yeah. you know i knew nothing about all stars when i was having this idea that perhaps under the right circumstances right I you didn't know what the circumstances no, not would at be. all no i didn't honestly i hadn't defined what the circumstances quote unquote would right. be i felt like it needed to be different i felt like i won't go back just to do another season of the same thing i did oh, before yes. it has to be something uniquely different and in my mind i probably thought some crazy spinoff or something but as luck would have it um you know, about a year later, roughly, I got a call and they asked if I'd be interested in coming back to do something that they hadn't defined as all stars, but that they said, you know, is definitely going to include people who have competed before. This is okay. going to be a tougher, harder version of what you've already been through. And most people probably would say, like, why in the world do you want to volunteer to do a harder version of something that was already one of the most difficult things I ever did in my life? But that's where I was at that point in my in my life. I needed to prove to myself that although I was older and fatter and more tired and had 
kind of felt a little bit like damaged goods, like I had been chopped up and put back together again. Literally. That, uh, yeah, literally. That that I maybe still had it in me. Maybe I still had that mental and physical toughness to go back and do Because you need both again. for Top Chef, right? I mean, you can't just... <laughs> right, you absolutely You can have the greatest do. ideas in your head, but if you're physically exhausted, right. how can you execute them? You know? Right, yeah, you do. You absolutely need both. So anyhow, you know, when I kind of said, all right, well, maybe, maybe it's worth me seeing if I can, for me, like I'm gonna do this for myself. I'm gonna see if I can do it. I can go back and I can compete again and my it's funny like to go in anything like this with a goal that isn't like let's see if I can go back and win it wasn't to go back and win it was to go back and do it because I honestly was not sure whether I could do it like sure. physically do it you know mentally do it um and so I said okay I think yeah you know what why not let's do it I talked to my family and my friends I talked to my business partner I mean from a business standpoint Everybody said it's probably great. You have this brand new restaurant, Cold Beer, that that is right. the biggest thing you've ever done, and you want so, well, people to talk about it. How many feet is this total? This is almost ten thousand. Oh my gosh! Right, right. so Cold Beer's a monster, wow. and is. so from a business standpoint, of course, all my partners were like, "Please go back." You know, we want this place to thrive, and I do too, obviously. Yeah. You know, Gun Show has been gangbusters its whole life, so it's not yes. like we can get more people in there. And Revival does well in Decatur, and the stadium is a unique thing. This yes. is the new one that needs some love, and so they said, look, you know, go do it for that. But I wasn't willing to go back to do it just for business because that's just not, that's just not me. I'm not that right. kind of guy. Like, right. I need things to mean something more than that. So I said, all right, I'll go back. Um, but but you know I need to you know I need some time to kind of to sort of think through how I want to approach this and so um, how much prep time did you have between yes and going to LA maybe two months I think okay that's plenty of time you know um, yeah. and so in that two months I got obviously all of our ducks in a row which wasn't hard this time because literally you'd done it before we'd done it before so when I told everybody I have to be gone the only downside is that everybody. For the most part, everybody thought I was sick again. So, um, oh, because you couldn't tell them what was going I on. I couldn't tell them what was going on. Oh no! So there was so, some rumors floating right, around. No, there were tons of rumors, and I'll tell you some of them later. But yeah, but <laughs> there were a big contingency of them was that I was that I had relapsed and I was going to have to have treatment again. And so that scared me. I didn't like that people were but thinking you, that. But you, know. you couldn't really say. But I couldn't say anything. I right. just I just was gone one day. Um, right. But in that time. Could you have said, yeah, I'm going on a sabbatical or something? Or well, no, I'm sure I could have made up something. Yeah. I chose to say nothing because I thought, honestly, probably any story I made up would get picked apart and people would determine uh, it was oh, not whatever, true whatever the sabbatical you yeah, were Yeah, exactly. I think somebody said, you should tell me you're going on safari. I was like, no, somebody will figure that out. So I just said nothing. I just said, I, I'm, I'm busy working on something else. I, I can't. I won't be around for a little while. Okay. Um, some of the people who worked for me thought I was in jail. Which but is, nobody thought Top Chef really. No, no that's one funny guess, that nobody thought no, of it. Literally, because no you've said one, no so many times, no, people presume no he'll never go back to that. But literally, more more than one employee was like, "I think he's probably in jail." And I'm like, "What do you think I went to jail for?" We still haven't sorted <laughs> that out. But nevertheless, um, hilarious. So, a void of information. That's what I know. Happens. I know. So, when I started thinking about going back, I decided that you know what, it, it, although it was important for me to do this for myself, that wasn't a really that really wasn't a good enough reason to to that if I was going back and the only thing I planned to do was to like tell everybody how great I felt and that that I felt like that was a lost opportunity. Yeah. And so I started thinking about something that had been bothering me for since post surgery. And it was that um one of the most impactful things about the recovery from what I went through was in fact having 
strangers, for the most part, reach out to me, send me emails or mail me letters, and tell me their story and tell me what they had gone through and how they had been successful. You got hardcore that. letters. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I got like literal handwritten letters, That's lots great. of them, from people I've never met before. Um, and they would mail them to my publicist's office and she would drop them off at our house or they would mail them to the restaurants and they would bring them to me. And I would read these stories of people who, and every one of them was the same. It was this idea of being scared and being angry and then being worried that, that they weren't gonna come around and then just refusing that reality and doing whatever it took to make sure that they that they had the power to continue to live their life the way they wanted to. And I think that helped me so much mentally to not be depressed about what I was going I'm through. I'm all by myself. All to not up. be defeated. That I would work hard. That I, that I dealt with the really painful days and weeks and months like where I just wanted to cry and break down and scream. And instead, I realized that it was just part of the journey. I started thinking about that idea and the fact that these people had done this for me and I felt like that would be something that would be really great. If I had the opportunity to talk to people and tell them what I had gone through and maybe give them a sense of empowerment as well, then I should do that. I should use this opportunity. And so I, I set- Pay it forward in a sense? Yeah, I set a goal for myself. And I said, you know what, for me, my goal is to make it to the finals because I want as many episodes as I possibly can to talk about this right. journey that I've been through. And I don't just mean cancer because I, I meant, in my mind, anyone who was struggling, someone yes. who was dealing it with something that could, felt could be drug bigger addiction, than them. Yeah. It could be a death in the family. It could be unemployment. It could be, it could yeah. be that they don't like the way they look, that, they, that they've, you know, self-confidence issues, anything. Just this idea that, that we humans have this capacity that we can overcome the most difficult of odds if we can if we can keep our our focus if we can just keep powering through and right. so i sort of said okay well that's now that's my mission like that's the kevin gillespie mission and that's the reason that i'm going back so to every time Chef. the producers set you aside to do your interviews yeah. you would try and weave something in right i mean I even if they're asking it. you just about the mundane parts of the show which they usually do sure 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 yeah like, you so know what happened I, next right exactly it's like i can't say exactly what i what i did say and i wouldn't want right, to spoil of course it anyhow. Not. no i don't you know, want to know want people to see but i don't want to know but i was very vocal about it and and i was very um I was very vulnerable and open about it. Yeah. And that's something that to me was the paramount difference, something I hadn't done yet. I've been direct and talked about what I went through, sure. but I hadn't been willing publicly to talk about how hard it was and how scary it was and how many times I felt like I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, you know, how, how many times when you're going through something like that, you just like pray for it to be done and over with whatever that may mean and it's and right. it's like I thought it was important to talk about that darkness and and if anything I felt like it paralleled what, what people go through when they're competing you know because for for top chef like to be good at it you have to you have to think you're the best at all times and you have to keep that edge at all times that's true and it's and draining he's... like oh. it's a very draining thing to do but if you if you keep the right context if you remember that you're doing it for something bigger than you then you can get through it you can power through it and i think that that became my sort of battle cry going into filming the show and truly the main reason that i went back was that i felt like i had again been given this tremendous gift this opportunity to talk to a bigger audience than i ever could have dreamed in my life 
Um, and I know that I likely will never meet the person who this means something to, but the idea that somebody at home sometime, somewhere will hear something I say and maybe that's the, the last piece that they needed to, to drag themselves out of whatever rut they're in uh, to improve their life, maybe, maybe, if I could do that for one person, um, I would feel incredibly empowered and I would feel like all that I went through was more than worth it. For, you know that the exchange as it were was still in my favor so what's the contrast to you entering the show 10 years ago uh, in terms of your goals then well it's interesting 10 years ago I entered with a single goal which was don't let the first restaurant you've owned fail it was it when, was when did you open with our hubris um, I bought Woodfire from the previous owner, from Michael. That's Tooney. the one on Cheshire Bridge. Yeah, right? exactly. So I had worked for Michael many years ago as his chef de cuisine, and then had moved to the Northwest. And then I had moved back, and myself, along with two business partners, had bought it from Michael in March of, gosh, that would have been March of two thousand and eight. Six months before the crash, the big crash. Correct. <laughs> okay. And it tanked. It tanked. Yeah, and, I mean, a, and a lot we, of restaurants did it. Yeah, it had nothing and, to do with you. It was right. just people stopped going out. Correct. And we genuinely were like dangling from the last thread of the end of the rope. And my hubris, frankly, my pride was like, you can't. This can't. You can't fail at this first one out of the gate. It's a good healthy so late 20s attitude. It, it was very much so. It, and <laughs> so I, I said, whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. And it turned out that whatever it took was Top Chef. So, so people funny. did the actually, time, even with the economy, people went to Woodfire, right? Right, right. I, I went, I'm certain yeah, I went to Woodfire for that reason. afterwards. Yes. And what's interesting is to think that the very first time I did this show, I did it for me. Mm -hmm. Very much for me and for my success. Mm -hmm. For like something, you know, I wanted to be successful in my field. Uh, like the good I thing is people liked you anyway. I mean, right. it wasn't like you I were mean, you were I egotistical wasn't, jerk. I wasn't malicious about no, it. No, people I was liked driven you. Driven by. I think the Voltagias had a much greater. Yeah. You know, true. Uh, people had a much split. You know, thoughts about sure, them. sure. But but either way, the first time around, I was driven very much by you. We are not going to fail. This is not going to fail. We're going to win. Mm -hmm. And that's how we're going to do this. And then the second time around, I went back, and it's never good to compete and go back and be like, when people go, do you care if you win? And you go, not really. Like, that's not really a good way to approach a no, competition. No, it's a competition by definition, yeah. But I can truthfully say that when I went back, I wasn't obsessed with winning. I was obsessed with the message. I was obsessed with And you're right, and getting to, to the be, finals, you pretty much get as much airtime as if you yeah, win or lose. You get yeah. just as much airtime. I was obsessed with trying to show the world that I was a better person than I than I used to be and that um, that out of really horrible things can come really great things. And that was that to me was the motivating factor more than anything else. It wasn't it's not prize money, it, it's not fame, it's not any of these other things. Um, it was it was this idea that I felt like I had an obligation to do something, and that was it. So. And what's interesting is you got to cook again too, right? In True. a regular basis, right, right? Exactly. So you know, on a on a normal day to day basis these days, I don't shake the pans in the restaurants. Like I'm in all the restaurants, I'm working there all the time, and 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 I'm, I'm meeting with the team, and I'm trying to be a good leader. You know, I'm trying to be a de facto <laughs> sort of CEO, which is not in any way something I've been educated enough to do. I'm, work, had, I'm working on my education right now. Are you learning by doing, or do you, are you taking classes? Both. both. I'm oh, learning really? by doing, and then I've also been taking um, classes at Tuck at Dartmouth um, to 
to work on my business degree. So, oh, nice. Um, so I'm doing both. Is that a but, remote thing or? Yeah, I go up, uh, you know, oh, nice. like basically for a, a chunk of time every so often. So, um, but it's, uh, you know, my job looks different these days. And so the pure raw joy of just making food isn't, it's, it's funny, you know, like everybody wants to be a celebrity chef and be famous and have this big thing, or at least a lot of cooks do. Sure. They until they it. realize like what it really looks like. And it looks a lot more like a business job. You know, it's not as sexy and as glamorous as like what people it's probably brand think management. Or... Yeah, exactly. I do a lot of that. I still get to be very creative because inside our company, I still handle all of the creative stuff. Like what are we serving food wise? What are we serving drink wise? How does the place look? Like, yeah, All the way down to the here, cold beer. The yeah, yeah. What, what were you working on today with your designer? Yeah, just... so we're here today because we have um, we have three new projects, and we're not yet able to tell you what any of them are. But sure. we, but we are we were doing interior designs for two of them, and then we were doing logoing and branding for a third. And then okay. we're also we're getting ready as crazy as it sounds because I know we just said this thing is ten thousand feet. We're getting ready to expand cold beer. Okay. Um, I also own. I mean, yeah, you aren't even a year. This thing's only what six months six old. Six months old. Okay. I also own that plot of land underneath the Beltline or underneath the bridge. Okay. Rather, or underneath the bridge. Yeah. Uh, I lease it from the Beltline. Okay. Um, Where and, that guy's sitting. Yeah, basically. Okay. And so we, I told everybody when we built this place that it was eventually going to have a beer garden component. Well, okay. that's where it's going to be. So okay. we're about to break ground over there and add an additional sort of much, even more isn't casual this al- component. Isn't this already a kind of a beer garden where it we're is, sitting? It is, but right here you get full menu and like you can eat and all this oh, stuff. Oh, okay. This will just be drinks you, over there? Yeah, just drinks. Like, like a late you know, night yeah. drink hangout? Exactly. More casual, more canned and bottled drinks than like super fancy shake cocktails. Um and cheaper, frankly. Like, I wanted to have an element where we could have a less expensive option. Right. Because, again, like, my big thing in all my restaurants is that I really dislike the idea of only serving a particular crowd. Right. And some people just can't afford it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like I wanted to have a cheaper option. So, anyhow. Um, what are your hours here for cold beer? So cold beer is Tuesday through Sunday. It opens at 5 o'clock on Tuesday through Friday, and then on Saturday and Sunday, it's open. It opens at eleven. It's open all day until eleven again. So, um, so pretty long hours. So this one over here, uh, the beer garden again will kind of mirror our rooftop, which li- which just opened for the season. By the way, it opened last weekend. Right. Um, <laughs> just as anyone who's lived in lives in Atlanta knows, like we've had horrible weather. Yeah, the weather's been horrific. Terrible, yeah, and terrible. It's, and still looks pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I was literally getting ready to fire off like a tweet this afternoon, being like, "It doesn't get much better than this." Oh, today. it was a really nice afternoon. And then, yeah, and, and then, then it. I, wasn't just, for a moment and then just dove <laughs> but um but nevertheless so yeah so we're um you know we're getting ready to do that so i mean, you're, uh, Maggie and I I mean for folks to know here you're on the belt that. line right against um yeah this is the edgewood bridge that's next to us and so, so our new patio will sit under the edgewood bridge we are on what's called the um i mean you can't the s- eastern trail so we're right. like the next you know part just south of Crog street yeah because when i parked up there i was like where where is cold beer <laughs> and i was like well, oh let's go down the stairs right <laughs> exactly exactly we always have to tell people like you, you know, can't put signage up there at all or it's, it's you know they're they're funny about that some we may be able to like, eventually yeah eventually so it was one of those that to open no way now that we're open we could probably do it and like no and just not say anything and like sure, no i mean just a much, small so. sign with an arrow is all you yeah, need yeah, yeah exactly so yeah because at least at least Google Maps leads you to the right spot and yep. says you're here, but it, yep. there's no signs. So you're like, yeah. Unfortunately, 
the address says we're on the cab, which is oh really terrible. So if oh. people are like six seventy to cab, like oh, don't no, stop on no, the cab. Google you Maps do. led me right over right, there. So then Google Maps leads you over here, and then Apple Maps leads you to Airline, which is the road right behind us. Oh no, how, I so, think that's what happened to the um, to So our anyhow, now. we we haven't quite sorted out the like six ways of figuring out how to get the cold beer, but <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Like we're like, are we gonna have to paint on the sidewalk like IKEA? Like walk this way? So maybe. Well, I can't wait to uh, – actually, they sent me the first episode. I haven't had a chance to watch it, so I need to oh, watch I the first even episode. Seen it. So, yeah, you guys never see these things yeah. before we yeah. do Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, I well, mean, obviously, I know what happens in all of the episodes. Sure, but how they edit it is right. – you know, right. curious Exa- to see oh, how, they, how they frame your storyline and everything. Yeah. You know, that's the doom of all people on Top Chef. It is the most talked about internally component of, of a Well, you don't know because the they, they tape a heck of a lot more than, right. than they use, so you don't we know. We all talk about that as, as we're all scared until the first show airs. Actually, we're scared all the way through. Yeah, you don't to know what's like, going to. Oh, man, I remember that time I lost my temper. I really hope that doesn't make the show. <laughs> like, you know, like because everybody wants to look their best. And, and sure. you know, I especially want to make sure that people. Um, I want to look real more than anything. I don't yeah. really care whether or not you see the good and the bad of me because right. I'm, I'm much more okay with that these and days. My memory is you people... always felt authentic. Even, you know, however you well, were 10 years ago, you felt real and nobody and, felt like... And, you know, I don't and that's really... why people liked you because you were likably uh, real. So. For better or worse, like, yeah. I guess I'm not a very good actor because I, I tend to only know how to play, like, just Kevin. Like, that's yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the Matagias so, played the game a little more. You could tell. They do. And I'm not, you know, that's, that's and fine. I'll be the first to admit that I'm and not And one of them will be, and Brian's going to be on this Brian one. Brian will be on this yes. one. Brian and I actually have become very good friends since yeah, um, I can believe we it. did Top Chef. Um, we go hunting together. We've done, like, we've gone on trips together. Like, it's, we... Yeah, he came in close. second, right? Yes, so exactly. you came yep. in third. Yep, and, exactly. So he'll be back for this one. Um, and then Jennifer Carroll from my season will also be back. I know, and she came in fourth, right? So yeah, it's exactly. literally three out of the four, you guys. Know, it's crazy. We thought that was crazy. I don't yeah. know if any other season. I, I know there are multiples from other season, but I don't know if three who if finished in the that, top four yeah, who, are, who spent that much time together. Yeah, exactly. So, and I don't even know how that impacts. You know, this is still an individual competition, so it's. But well, occasionally it, no, you have no, team. It, it occasionally you have some team issues. So. I would say it absolutely impacts it because. When you get thrown in this thing right out of the gate, the first thing people do is tend to gravitate towards those people they, they know. know. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's true. I'm watching Survivor winners at war. It's the same. Dynamic yeah, I mean, too. I, I, think, I don't think you have any choice. You know. Yeah, exactly. No, it's natural. It's, it's like anything. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, thank you so much for um, you know giving us the time here and telling yeah, the world uh, how things have <laughs> things have transpired over the next ten years, and you've got plenty of hopefully plenty of years ahead of you to keep writing more chapters. Due to concerns about coronavirus spread, many events in and around Atlanta have been canceled. Lots of venues are closed, some restaurants are closed, many of them offering to-go items, curbside pickup, and that sort of thing. But because of that, there's not a lot of events to talk about, Um, actually pretty much none. To keep up with all of the latest news on the coronavirus, AJC.com slash coronavirus, or just go to AJC.com where the top news of the day will keep you informed. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felician. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen. And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Thank <laughs> you.